Welcome to Love Mia Vita podcast, the podcast to women for women. I'm Jerry DiPiano, women's healthcare advocate and founder of Fem Pharma. I'm joined by Dr. Deborah Saltman, physician, researcher, the thinker, and medical director. Thanks, Jerry. I'm really proud to be a part of Fem Pharma's commitment to keeping women healthy and safe and this series of podcasts. Together, we're providing solutions for women who care about living their best lives at any age. As trailblazers, we aim to break down the myths and provide the truths about everything women want and care about. Imagine that. We asked women what they want, and we're about to deliver it. By the way, we hope to entertain you, and that's no BS. Over the coming months, we'll be speaking with experts about topics that matter, mental and physical well-being, and what more could be done. We will push our experts to give you answers that are real. So send us your questions, and here's to loving our lives. Hi, this is Jerry DiPiano, the CEO of Fem Pharma Consumer Healthcare, and I'm here with my guest, Dr. Monica Villalpando. Uh, Dr. Villalpando is a product developer, scientist, and she is the CEO of Via Innovation. We've invited Dr. Villalpando, Monica, if I may call you Monica, to join our podcast to talk about a particular subject that should be of interest to all of us, and that is how to harness the potential of cannabis, CBD, non-THC containing products, and products that contain both CBD and THC. So Monica, if you could please share with us a bit about your distinguished background. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I, I it's such a great opportunity to come and, and share with the audience such an important topic. And so thank you for opening up these channels. My background is in pharmaceutical sciences. Uh, my I studied drug product formulation. Uh, this is covered from my academic work, all, as well as the industry applications. My specialty is the formulation around poorly water-soluble drugs. So basically in pharma, we are seeing more of these new molecular entities coming into the pharmaceutical pathways, and they are increasingly water insoluble. So they don't go, uh, don't readily dissolve in water. And so what that means is it also affects the absorption in your body and, and how readily you can get it in your blood. And so these things affect dosing and, and safety and, and efficacy. So that's the area um, where I focus my, my energies on. And when I looked over to the cannabis industry about five years ago, uh, I saw a great transition into the space, given that cannabinoids are notoriously water insoluble. Um, so the, the first major pull into the cannabis industry was through the pharmaceutical background. Um, I also had transitioned away from pharma briefly for about a year and a half, where I found myself in Manchester, UK, working on the development of uh, electronic cigarettes and the safety um, and the education around them. So um, having had some inhalation background experience in pharma, 
I applied that to nicotine where we were screening and evaluating the emission studies and, and looking at the ingredients that go in there. So when I found myself back in the United States in California, um, I also saw another clear pathway into cannabis through this vaping um, background, because at the time it was primarily flour and vape products being sold. Um, and then also my interest with, with cannabis uh, came through my personal practice as a, just a yogi. I've been a yoga practitioner for 18 years. So when I took my uh, teacher training back in 2012, I was exposed to Ayurvedic medicine, and that's when I started putting the pieces together of plant-based medicine. I was I was fortunate to have been grown up with um, a mom who focused on natural products and wellness. So it was really solidifying the different sciences and trains of thought. And so um, in addition to that, I suffer from endometriosis. And so I've been using cannabis for a number of years to treat um, my, my painful, painful periods and the nausea that would come from that. So when um, I found myself in the right opportunity in the Bay Area, um, seeing where the cannabis industry was at the time, um, I, I could envision where it would go. And so I decided to um, integrate all of these different areas of my background and, and channel it to start via innovations uh, four years ago. That's quite a distinguished background, Monica. And um, thank you for sharing your personal experience with use of uh, cannabis to ameliorate some of the symptoms of endometriosis. We do know that there is power in the use of cannabis and cannabis containing products, uh, whether it's a combination of CBD and THC. And one of the goals for this podcast is really to bring to light um, how that what that power may look like, what areas we may want to focus on in particular in women and women's health. But we also want to balance that with what are the pitfalls, right? So there are there are a number of products that are out there today. Um, and they are delivered in a, a number of different ways. Some are inhaled, smoked, um, topically applied to the skin, uh, containing different amounts of CBD and or THC. And in some areas of the country, as we know, products that contain over 0.3% THC are still um, regulated as what they call schedule one drugs. So schedule one drugs are uh, narcotics like heroin, right? So we, we have to be mindful that um, this is not something that is um, illegal in every part of the country, but, but there is progression. And the progression has led us to the dispensaries in a number of states across the country where medical marijuana may be obtained by individuals, men and women, who have a variety of different conditions. I think there are 23 qualifying conditions, uh, maybe more than that at this juncture. But um, many of the listeners may also be individuals who are card-carrying individuals um, and use medical marijuana to help them with any number of issues, whether it's pain or anxiety or post-traumatic stress. And so there, there is some information, uh, or I should say some data that is building um, as to the efficacy and potential safety of these products, but there's so much more work to be done. Um, you know, I read, um, I read an article recently about um, the potential, for example, for these products in sexual health and wellness. And we know that the, um, the sexual wellness market is exploding. Um, it, in fact, the, the claim is that it's going to be a $13.2 billion market by 2027. Um, 
and that shows that there is some interest in um, in using some of these products. Uh, in fact, the CBD sales in in the United States are pretty significant. Um, over six hundred million dollars in the U.S. alone, expected to hit twenty three billion dollars uh, in a few years. And much of this is being promoted for women. The question is, well, why is it being promoted for women? And um, and that therein lies what we want to cover today. Um, we know that the female reproductive system contains the second highest um, number of cannabinoid receptors. That's outside the brain, of course. Yeah. Um, and we also know that cannabis is a vasodilator. Great. So it may increase blood flow to the region, pelvic and reproductive organs. And we also know that it relaxes smooth tissues and that may help with lubrication. But again, we need to balance that with good scientific evidence. So we both share the, the product development background. I, as you know, my listeners know, I came out of pharma. Uh, we still have a pharmaceutical company um, working on drug development activity. But the consumer products and consumers need to be made aware that this, you know, the consumer orientation is what we're focusing on today. And what should consumers know? How should they think about the use of these products? Um, and that's where I rely on someone with your expertise uh, working in this field. So we know that the number of non-cannabis users to cannabis users um, is, is increasing. And we want to talk about the distinction a little bit. So perhaps you can dis discuss the distinction between hemp-derived and marijuana-derived CBD, CBD and THC-containing products. And for women who don't know what THC means, um, perhaps you can explain that. Yeah. Um, so, ultimately, so the cannabis plant is... A lot of people d distinguish, as you said, the hemp plant and then the marijuana plant, but ultimately they all come from the, the cannabis plant. There's just variations to the plant. So the hemp plant um, is used more for industrial applications, um, but it also has a produces CBD cannabidiol um, versus what let's say we refer to as the marijuana plant. Um, I, I prefer, or cannabis plant is my preference um, in terminology. Um, and this type of vari uh, variation produces all uh, more variety of uh, cannabinoids. So including CBD, we have THC, which they have been bred to produce predominantly, uh, well, THCA, so which then gets converted into THC. So, um, so there you have these different varieties um, and different species. So it's really the THC molecule that um, gives the cannabis a bad name as being the main um, in, yeah, intoxic intoxicating um, cannabinoid found in the, uh, the cannabis plant. But ultimately we're discovering more and more cannabinoids in the plant um, that are structurally different from each other and have different potential therapeutic pathways, different ways that they're gonna bind to the, to the different receptors within the body or interact with various uh, channels. So there is still so much to be um, learned and discovered where most of the research has been done is around THC and CBD um, in that they're more readily available. Um, but we are seeing a, a trend in the research areas 
we're um, looking to different ways to scale up um, these, what we refer to as minor cannabinoids. Um, so ones that are not as uh, readily prevalent um, in the plant. Um, so most of the research and then going into what we know for say women's health or these applications um, are primarily around the CBD and THC space. Um, but even within that, there's many, many layers that are to be uncovered um, and, and studied. So if I'm, uh, if I'm a consumer going into CVS and I see a CBD product on the shelf, should I expect, yeah. the, and these are questions that, that women um, who are not scientists like you um, would ask, if I see a CBD product in CVS, can I assume that I'm going to get high from um, using a topical product? There are a lot of misconceptions that exist with respect to what one can expect from say, and let's talk about the delivery form, a topical product. You have, an, you have tennis elbow and your best friend said that she used topical THC on her elbow to, to reduce the pain and inflammation. So maybe we could talk a little bit about the potential of CBD topically. Then we, then we also have some ingestible forms. So if we could, let's talk about that for a moment to help consumers really understand what's, what lies beneath the surface, so to speak. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And, and one that I'm getting more and more um, these days as we're seeing more topicals come into the market. Um, so the thing with topicals, and especially working with cannabinoids, they're, uh, cannabinoids are actually very hard to get through the skin. So you have the upper layer of the skin, the stratum corneum. Um, and if you zoom into that upper layer, it's, it essentially looks like a brick wall. And it's very hard in general to get anything through the skin. It's designed to be our, our armor, <laughs> essentially, and protect us. Um, so they have so uh, cannabis topicals need to be formulated to achieve transdermal permeation in order to get into your bloodstream to feel, let's say, high. Um, so with that, uh, you would need to incorporate certain chemical penetration enhancers um, in order to achieve that. Now, uh, most, most cannabis products are not designed to be transdermal. Um, they're actually designed more for these local relief for the muscle aches and pain. So from that case, um, whether it's applied THC or CBD, um, you're not going to feel high with most uh, salves that, that are applied. Uh, one could argue even with the transdermal um, THC product, the concentration is readily low. So it's not going to um, it, be the similar effect as you would feel as, it, um, as if you were to eat a brownie or a capsule, for example. So the delivery mechanism does play a role um, on how you experience your product. Um, but yeah, that said, there's uh, cannabinoids will also, um, some are easier to penetrate um, than, than others. So in fact, THC is more lipophilic, which means uh, fat loving. Um, and as a result, it's actually harder to get through the skin. So even then you have to add, it's about 10 times more challenging to get THC through the skin than, than CBD. So if you're applying a CBD product, that's, let's say it has 600 milligrams of CBD, uh, number one, um, the answer is 
highly improbable, like infinitesimally low that you're going to get high from applying a CBD transdermal product, product that's applied to your skin, your elbow, your knee for local pain relief. What about um, the concentration of CBD or the, the amount of CBD that's found in a product? What should, um, what should women be aware of in terms of, so let's say it's a 100 milligram topical salve. What should, what should they know about yeah. that? Is that enough to, to actually do anything lo- locally and regionally on the, uh, in terms of uh, pain receptors and the, the muscles? Well, it has to, a few, a few factors to consider is, is how much you're applying as well as where you're applying it. Um, and, but actually just if I take it to the point, if it's CBD only, then you're, you're not going to feel high from it. Um, it, it in general does not give, there might be some exceptions to the rule, um, but it will not interfere with sort of your ability to work or drive. Um, but in terms of concentrations, that's where it's actually very, very challenging with topicals to achieve a, an ideal dose, because if you rub a topical on your, you know, the inside of your arm or elbow or the bottom of your heel, you're going to have very different um, extent of absorption too, based on the number of layers of the stratum corneum that I had referred to earlier. So that that's one thing to consider. Um, like going into more of the women's health, uh, actually, <laughs> the vagina is ex- has extremely high bioavailability. So if you're applying a topical on your arm or in your vagina, that's going to have a lot more readily absorbed. In, in the vagina into the bloodstream. So that's, and that's one area that uh, I have been frustrated with in some of the cannabis regulations where um, these lubricants are, uh, are just being put in very similar categories or marketed as, as topicals, standard topicals, which are most of them don't design to get into your bloodstream versus that, that is a really, that's a super important point. And as, um, as a company that has done a lot of drug development and, and uh, pelvic and reproductive disorders, that being Fem Pharma, um, and, and more recently, even when we look at the vaginal and vulvar is, issue of vaginal vulvar dryness, sexual pain, irritation, et cetera, we're very careful about the way in which we have proceeded with respect to putting products together that are applied to this mucosal surface. And yet it is called topical, right? So it's topically applied, topical meaning that it is applied in one case to vulvar skin and the uh, topical when you discuss the intravaginal, right? Applied to vaginal mucosal tissue. So when you think about the way that um, that some of the companies that are out there refer to these products for sexual wellness, where they stretch, um, they I, I should say embellish and say that it is for pelvic pain, or for endometriosis, or for uterine fibroids. So when they promote those products as symptom relief, even though they don't use words like treatment, which is a which they shouldn't be using because they haven't established that it is a treatment. But even when they say that it is for symptom relief, the point that you raised is a really important point. These products have not, these products that claim to be topical products for any of what I just said in terms of pain, endometriosis, sexual pain, enhancing libido, what have you, have really got a bad, I mean, it really, 
it's in bad form um, at a minimum. And it may actually present some significant health issues. So let's talk about that for a minute. And I think it goes back to the bioavailability and where you place the product, right? So if you place it on the vulva, you place it on the vagina, these are, you know, this very vascular, there are a lot of blood vessels in the area. So let's, let's talk about that for a minute. From my perspective in the cannabis space, I'm seeing a wide variety of these sexual wellness products come out. The majority of them are oil-based products uh, because, as I mentioned earlier, cannabinoids are lipophilic, so they love um, they love fat. So they're going to readily dissolve in um, carriers such as uh, medium-chain triglycerides, MCT, um, various uh, let's say olive oils are also common waxes. So these these are the most type of uh, most common products that we see here on the market um, now. One of the concerns that I have with this is not necessarily the, well, with the right labeling too, because these products are not latex safe um, for one. So that's one consideration, um, as well as some, the safety screening of these um, inactive ingredients. So some of these natural um, carriers and products are still, um, they're still some some byproducts in these oils or some batch to batch variabilities to consider so um, and where these products are being manufactured they might not be under the um, the correct uh, air quality systems or um, being filled under the right manufacturing um, facility uh, where there's dust in the way or having the proper cleaning validation protocols that we would see in pharma um, nine times out of 10, these are not being applied in, in the cannabis industry. So that's, that's another area that we need to focus on too. We have, um, you know, you're, we're speaking the same language. So having just uh, taken uh, our personal lubricant and vaginal moisturizer through an FDA uh, 510k clearance, um, one of the, the frustrations that we see um, as a company that does subscribe to all of what you just said, which is that you know, there are a requisite number of tests that must be performed um, to looking at everything from local cellular toxicity, cytotoxicity, uh, both in animal models and then um, in, in other types of models. So there's an extensive battery of tests looking at things like compatibility with a variety of different condoms. And it's not true that um, that every one of these products will be compatible with every type of condom. So you may be compatible with two or three types of condoms, but not the latex condoms, or you may be compatible with latex, but not polyisoprene. And some of these products have not done any compatibility testing. So they are, we don't know whether they are compatible. So there, therein lies a concern as far as the transmission of sexually transmitted infections. That's one concern. And then because these products may not be manufactured under what is called good manufacturing practices, which is what you were just sharing with us, you don't know that there is consistency from batch to batch. So if you have something that was made, let's say in March, and you produce another batch in August, you don't know whether there is consistency from one batch to the next because there hasn't been any any protocol that's been f followed 
that recommends or that that requires there to be a certain specific way in which you make that product, put it in very layperson's language. And there and and there is some frustration in that. We also look at, you know, people look at natural products and you know, we've heard from women who had previously used things like coconut oil in their vaginas or olive oil in their vagina, what they consider natural products. And then to your point, they combine it with a cannabis, um, so a cannabis product. Natural doesn't necessarily mean safe, right? Um, what olive oil isn't regulated, um, it's regulated under food and drug law, but it's regulated as a food, not a drug. That's a big difference. Um, when you look at cannabis, um, you don't know where the cannabis was extracted, how it was extracted, whether it was grown under conditions where it was exposed to pesticides. And it's a it's a work in progress, um, for sure. Now, and then there's different areas and and how they get regulated. So if we work on the let's say the hemp space and the, the CBD with less than 0.3% THC, um, those regulations are still evolving and aren't as clear as say in some of the THC regulated markets. So if I'm um, working with a THC product in California, there are actually um, pesticides, microbials, these standards that you'll will need to pass in order for compliance versus with CBD, it's still a little bit more of a evolve, revolving, evolving uh, regulatory landscape. So there's, they are, you know, there's folks in their kitchen mixing this together and, and selling it on Etsy. <laughs> you know, you have some of the more sophisticated players who are, are building in more GMP type of facilities. And, and those are going to be uh, the ones that are more likely to get into the major retailers like CVS, for example, or so there's different levels, but um, it is not as clearly defined as uh, it is in the in some of the THC regulated spaces. So that's another consideration there. Um, but yeah, to your point, there is a lot of unknown in terms of uh, where your cannabis extract is coming from. We can talk about what happens when you when you put a drug in your vagina and or on your vulva on these mucosal surfaces. What about the dose? What about the frequency of dosing? I mean, there there's so many different considerations. Um, and again, this is women will choose to do what they're going to do, but armed with this sort of information, at least they can make inf an informed, intelligent decision about how they want to proceed, right? Um, so no yeah. judgment, this is the no judgment zone. And we're talking about potential, but we also need to talk about what happens when you put a, one of these products in your vagina? Yeah, there's, there is a lot of unknowns. Um, absolutely. And, you know, the idea is thinking, well, they're all natural. Um, so it's safe. As you said, it's, you know, there's a lot of unsafe all natural compounds. Um, but especially with cannabis, they can be formulated to be um, not safe. So, um, but even taking it a a step back with just these type of products in general and um, in pharma, you, women are, are not necessarily pulled into these clinical studies for a number of reasons. Obviously, if we don't know any like genotoxic effects that could occur, um, any type of reproductive 
um, output and, and when exploring a drug. So as a result, oftentimes women are excluded from these studies. And, and we do know that there are gender differences to um, different drugs. And even with cannabis, um, I've read several studies that indicate that um, consumption of cannabis enhances libido in women, but it can actually have the opposite effect in men. Um, and there's other um, uh, situations and examples in pharma with pharmaceutical drugs where we're seeing different responses um, based on gender. So it's it's very hard to put us all into one bucket since we're so very diverse, especially our um, endocannabinoid system. Um, but that but that is definitely a, a consideration. There is that yeah you. Uh, you know, I felt some, I felt relief from it. I've used it before, but definitely it's, it's something that to be mindful of. And, and it's also the frequency of use, um, concentration. <laughs> uh, there, there's a lot of layers there. And, and also whether or not you are of childbearing age and, and whether or not you want to have children or, or, or are you pregnant or trying to conceive or are you, you know, what, what are the reasons that you want to use a cannabis product? Is it from, um, period cramps? Is it from pain relief from intercourse? So there's, there's, there's also those factors. It's not um, a one, that one product solves all. There is potential here. Um, there is potential for the proper way in which to research, produce under G GMP, good manufacturing practices products that contain cannabis, uh, because they do, we, we can harness that potential if we do it the right way. Um, I have reams and reams of studies that were done, not well-controlled studies um, on cannabis, on cannabis and CBD. And so I, I am persuaded to believe in the, the potential of this if we can do this in a proper way. And that means to do this under FDA guidelines um, and under standards that would be considered pharmaceutical industry standards. So I, I believe that there is great potential, great opportunity. And in terms of where uh, these guidelines are going, yes, there's definitely um, many uses for cannabis, many applications from food to cosmetics, more pharmaceutical um, strategies. A lot of these suppliers and vendors are, are willing to work with CBD, but not THC. So that's where we're going to see most of the um, movement and the understanding innovation from there. Um, and then from that data, I do see that we can then better predict how other cannabinoids would behave based on their chemical structural differences. At least we have a good understanding of CBD as a, as a starting point. So there are a couple of, there are a few, more than a few takeaway points for women who are listening to this podcast. Um, and maybe we can just give them some, some points that they can take away um, that would be important for them to remember as they contemplate potential decisions, potential manufacturers, potential products. So I leave it to you to, um, to give us some of what you believe helps women to make a responsible choice when they consider what they will do. Research, education, <laughs> knowledge is power. Um, also be mindful of if there's gonna be THC in there. 
um, you might feel some intoxicating effects. So whether or not that's something you're comfortable with um, or, or not. Uh, also n- knowing that CBD will, will not get you high um, and it, but it does will have some um, pain relief or anti-inflammatory effects. Um, but do your research and, and especially when evaluating a product, uh, look up the company, look up the website about us. Are there, um, how transparent are they are in their messaging or are they also selling lubricants and vape pens and gummies and topicals? So chances are they're spread very thin so or, or around their products line. So they might not be necessarily thinking about the proper safety attributes that goes into um, a sexual wellness product, especially for women. If you start peeling through the layers and looking at different companies, um, you'll start seeing trends on, okay, I, I see that this company is adding a little bit more thought around their um, the development and, and, and the education around these products. Any company that is selling a personal that makes claims about a product being a personal lubricant and moisturizer that is inserted in the vagina must obtain an FDA clearance as a class two medical device. If they do not have that clearance, they are selling their products impermissibly. And what that means is they've taken a shortcut. And if they've taken a shortcut, I think that's what you're saying, Monica, the shortcut um, should be clear when you look at their website, you see, are they GMP? Do they have GMP practices in place? Do they have clearance in place? Is this just a, is this a company that really isn't steeped in science, but more in marketing and sales? That, that may be a tip-off that you want to consider when making a decision to purchase that product or products. So do your homework, empower yourself with knowledge. That's why we're here. Our goal is to empower women with knowledge so they they can make a thoughtful decision about how to proceed, not just with products that we develop, but in general, how they care for themselves and how they care for themselves in a way that preserves their ability to bear children or to have a meaningful quality of life without con- without the consequences that may come because they they chose to use something that actually had an unintended consequence. Monica, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much. Wonderful to have you on Love Mia Vita. And we hope to have you back uh, with part two. Uh, there's so much more to share uh, with respect to this topic and topics that are related. So we, uh, we look forward to having you back on our podcast. But thank you so much for being our guest today. Thank you. I would love to come back. And I really appreciate this discussion. Yeah, and the opportunity to, to meet your audience. Likewise. I'm sure our audience will be very interested in this topic. So thank you once again. Thank you. And to everyone, remember, love me, Evita, from Fem Pharma Consumer Healthcare. Be well. <laughs> <laughs>